God speaks to us in his word in Mark 8, 34 through 9, 1. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Katie. Hey, we don't do it enough, but I want to take a minute to just like thank uh, Katie and Jordan and the people that, these are volunteers that are putting in hours every week to lead our church in worship. And man, they do such a good job leading with like in spirit and truth. We sing true songs here about a true God and we also worship in spirit as well. So if we can, please, I don't even know if Jordan's in here, but just Pass it along to him. Let's just applaud them and just thank them for the, the time that they put in. Particularly Katie, thank you. Do you. Is there anything you'd like to say to all of us? Or Okay. You've already done your part. All right. Uh, before we jump into today's um, text, we'll be in the book of Mark. You can kind of start making your way, if you haven't already, to chapter 8. And we'll be in 34 and then all the way up to, ver- uh, to chapter 9, verse 1. I want to talk about a couple things that are happening in the life of our church right now. Um, one in particular is we are, um, by God's grace, um, we have a group of people that have been identified, have self-identified. We've identified as people that we want to train to potentially become uh, deacons in the church, which is pretty awesome. There are two offices, historically New Testament in the church, and two offices for us as well, the role of elder, the office of elder, and the role of deacon. And so deacons are men and women that um, literally by terminology and definition are servants in the church. They are men and women who have committed their life to do several things. One, to, to fight for the unity of the church. It is interesting that the Bible tells us that we have to fight to maintain unity, isn't it? it that, what that denotes is that unity is always being fought against. So it's not just passive. Unity is not something that comes passively. We are unified because God gives us unity just by us being brothers and sisters. That's why it says we have to fight to maintain unity. But it is a fight. And deacons, part of their role is to fight to maintain unity in the church. They're also called to serve in the church in a kind of a higher capacity, not just as like super volunteers, but people that that really feel called to serve the church, man. This is like this is what happened in Acts 6 when the apostles who were who were the elders of the church of the day, pastor of the church, they said, We can't do all of this. <laughs> in Acts chapter 6, it's like we cannot manage all of these things. And let me tell you. I feel that in this church weekly, sometimes daily. So by God's grace, we've got uh, 14, 15 people that are going to start meeting on Sunday nights for the next 
six weeks or so, um, starting tonight, that could possibly have a calling to the office of deacon in this church. So I just want to invite you, at five o'clock tonight, would you please just be praying? Lord, give us the right people. Give us people that are committed to this. Help it be a fruitful time. For We need more deacons. We sure need more elders as well. Um, but tonight we are trained deacons, so please pray for that. All right, Mark chapter 8. So let me get us caught up to what is happening in Mark, how we got here, and let me refresh you just a little bit on the context of this letter. This is a letter. It's not a book. We call it a book, but it's an actual letter, which is a total lost art today. It was never a found art for me, to be honest with you. I never have written letters, really. Um, but it's a lost art for those that love that. Um, and so letters are kind of a thing that we're not familiar with. But every book of the Bible and every particular book in the New Testament was written as a letter to specific people. So imagine just how long, 16 chapters of Mark, which by the way is the shortest gospel, it's the shortest letter about God's Jesus' life. Mark is a letter written by Mark, but really it was written by Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. John Mark was a guy that kind of tagged along in his ministry. And Peter, through Mark, gives his account of the life of Jesus. Which is so interesting because there's some scenes with Peter that are just straight up left out of Mark. Like Peter walking on water and falling and almost dying. That, you don't see that in Mark. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus walks on water. Peter, all the other accounts, there's Peter walking on water. Not in this one. <laughs> it's like, Peter, I don't, know if, I don't know if you're trying to save face or you're just being humble. Who knows? But Mark is the letter written by Mark via Peter, or by Peter, via Mark, ultimately by God the Holy Spirit, to a specific group of people in the first century. That group of people was first century Christians. Now, first century Christians lived a very different life than you and me. They were highly persecuted to the point of death. And what I mean to the point of death, I mean Christians died daily. There was an emperor over Rome at the time, which is where this letter was written, named Nero. He hated Christians. He would, for fun, put Christians on poles and burn them alive to light up his parties. He would also throw Christians into a coliseum where people would pay to come and see them eaten alive by lions, you name it, wild boars, bulls, this is, to be a Christian in that day meant every day of your life you thought that you were going to die that day for your belief. So imagine waking up every day and telling yourself, my cousin died yesterday, I lost my brother, my sister, my family, I lost my wife, today's going to be the day that I die for what I believe. Now put that in context with the context we live in right now. When it, you can change what you identify as or who you identify with based on what your mood is that day. Imagine being these people who committed their li literal life 
to following Jesus. And every day, going to church meant you went to church in the catacombs because you had to hide. You went before the sun came up so no Roman soldier could see you because they would kill you. They'd put you on trial and then they would kill you and they would ask you, are you a Christian? The text that we have today, what I'm trying to say to you is this, is like, it's that question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? Here we have Jesus saying, Mark writing in a letter, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. There is no other option. We don't feel this uniquely today. We don't. We've forgotten it, man. It's easy to say I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus, because that's what my friends told me I should do. And that's what my family did. It's easy to just say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I live in Oklahoma. And because I vote a certain way. But it's not, that's not following Jesus. Do you understand? To follow Jesus means you deny yourself, take up your cross, your Roman torture device. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He followed him. He was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Andrew, another disciple, crucified. James was killed by a sword. Bartholomew flayed and then beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. James pushed from a roof and then stoned to death. All followers of Jesus. Why were they killed? They were probably the nicest, most hospitable. They were probably the best citizens around. Why were they killed? Because they followed Jesus. There's a story about a woman in the early church. She is amazing. I just, she's a sister to, if you're a Christian, she's your sister. Her name was Perpetua. 22 years old, beautiful woman, wealthy woman, well-educated. She was from Carthage. She was married. She had an infant son. Imagine this woman, perpetual, just like everyone would have admired her. She was it. She was married, child, well-educated, wealthy, beautiful woman. Not long after she had become a Christian, She was arrested and imprisoned along with others from her church. And the day after her trial, this beautiful, well-educated, wealthy woman, her dad came to her with her son in his arms and he pleaded with her to denounce her faith and offer a sacrifice to the emperor. Here's what he said. My daughter... Have pity on my gray hair. Have pity on your father. If I am worthy to be called father by you, if if with these hands I have raised you to, to this flower of youth, do not shame me among men. Think about your brothers. Think about your mother. Think about your mother's sister. Think about your son who will not be able to live without you. 
Give up your pride. Do not destroy us all, for if you are punished, none of us will be able to speak freely again. Offer the sacrifice. Have pity on your baby. Spare the gray hair of your father. Spare your infant son. Offer the sacrifice for the health of the emperors. Imagine that. Women in the room who have dads that they love. This is a dad who loves his daughter pleading with her to denounce Jesus. She goes to trial. And she stands on trial. I can never make it through this, man. And you know what she says over and over again? She repeats, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. A few months later, she was led into an arena. She was stripped naked. Her hands were bound. As if that wasn't enough, they released a wild bull on her who fatally wounded her. And then she was ultimately killed by a soldier. What an amazing woman. Christian, this is your sister. What does it mean to follow Jesus, man? Here's what it means. It means to lay down your life. It means to lay down your ideals and your dreams and your very life to follow him. That's what it means. There's a cost attached to following Jesus. He said, deny yourself and take up your cross. So let's dig in. Please go there with me today. We need this. Let's look at the cost. The first is this. There's a cost of self-denial. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Denying oneself is something that Perpetua for sure did. It's not a mundane statement. It's taking up your cross is not a suggestion. They would have been incredibly difficult things for people to hear because no rabbi would have said this to their students, which they saw Jesus as a rabbi, and his disciples were his students. No rabbi would have ever said, you need to die to follow me. And no rabbi would have ever referenced that terrible torture device used by the Romans to punish terrible people, the cross. But here comes Jesus, who says, you have to deny yourself, you also have to die, and not only that, but you have to die in shame and humiliation and utter pain. How would that have been received? What Jesus is doing here is he's telling them that I'm more than just a teacher. I'm more than just your rabbi. I'm not just your rabbi. What I'm telling you is that in order to follow after me, you have to see me as the one who gives life. Eternal life. I am God, not just rabbi. And here's what God, Jesus, says about himself and his people. He says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jesus is God, 
And God is jealous for us, our whole selves, our full lives. To deny oneself is part of what it means to follow Jesus fully. He's jealous for you. He wants all of you. The idea, the concept of this, though, of self-denial is way, way, way other than the whole world right now. Everything that's coming at you is telling you, you do you, you be you, be you fully. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Be exactly what you want, depending on the day, the time, the week, the year, the whatever. And then if you want to change that, you could be something else or somebody else. But just as long as we all agree that you cannot ever let anyone tell you how to live your life. That's called self-autonomy. That is, I don't need accountability or people or God, least of all, telling me how to live. We're obsessed with it. It is the goal of life right now for the whole world, is to be autonomous and be who you are, never listen to anyone else. There's a great book called Disappearing Church that, man, if you read it all or care at all, Get that book. It's by a guy named Mark Sayers, pastor. He says this, What we are experiencing is not the eradication of God from the Western mind, but rather the enthroning of the self as the greatest authority. God is increasingly relegated to the role of servant, a massager of the personal will. Autonomy has become king. So denying oneself is Crazy talk. We want what we want. We want to be who we want. And we, no matter the consequences, no matter who's involved or how confused the world is, and surely no matter what anyone says, particularly God, and God's great, God's nice, I like God, he, God's good, man. If, as long as God votes the way that I vote, as long as he agrees with me, as long as God doesn't like really get up in my business at all, as long as God didn't like, tell me how to live, I'm good with God. God's cool. I'm from Oklahoma. We like God. But the minute, man, the minute that God comes in and starts to argue with you about how you should live your life according to this book, the minute that you read this, you go like, wait a minute, man. My life is not my own. What if, who does God think he is all of a sudden? What if I want to do something different than what he says? Well, then it's a fight. Then we start to bend and twist God to look more like us. God can exist, he's, but so long as he doesn't tell me what to do, so long as he doesn't have any authority over my decisions, as soon as he starts to do that, I'm going to view God as abusive and a dictator. That's the world we live in. Self-autonomy is king. Self-denial is lunacy. But here's the problem with self-autonomy. Here's the problem with you, be you, don't let anybody. Here's the problem with self-absorption. How are you ever going to love anybody truly? How are you ever going to have any true relationships? Because your relationship is only, it can only go so far. It never passes that point where you've got an idealism about someone. 
Because as soon as you discover how jacked up they inevitably are, you're done with it. And as soon as they discover that you're not okay with you just doing whatever you want to do at any moment or be whoever you are at any moment without any regard to their heart or feelings or life or whatever, explain how that works. All the married people in the room, how does it work? There's no way you can be completely self-absorbed and have any sort of real, true relationship for any long period of time. There's no way. As a matter of fact, the very nature of relationship is an antithesis to self-absorption. If you want to have a true relationship and be truly human, then you have to count someone else's needs as higher than yours. And that's what the Bible tells us to do, outdo one another in showing honor. How can you ever know somebody if you're not willing to give up your own independence? How can you ever stay committed to anything long enough to grow? Why do you even need growth? You can't have a relationship with someone and be self-absorbed, the least of which is Jesus. You can't have a relationship with him and be self-absorbed. There's a cost to self-denial. There's a cost, man. It's saying, I'm going to listen to somebody else. I'm going to have the humility to hear from somebody else how I might be wrong and how I should do things differently or live my life differently. That's denying oneself. That's also the cost of denying yourself with things like sexual identity and sexual brokenness. Denying yourself the, the impulses that sin like so easily entangles in us. There's, there's a cost to self-denial. It's not getting what you want right away all the time. It's being a part of something more, bigger, better, deeper, real life, real relationship. There's also a cost of taking up your cross. Denying yourself costs something. So does taking up your cross. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This was a scandalous, let me all caps scandalous, statement from Jesus. The cross in that day was not a piece of jewelry. Nobody was wearing it, no offense, if you have a cross around your neck right now, I, it's okay. It can identify you as a Christian. I think it's awesome. Back then, nobody was wearing a Roman torture device around their neck. I guarantee it. So for Jesus to come and say, take up your cross, can you imagine what they would have been like? What? What are you talking about? Take up my cross? What is he saying? What could he possibly be asked us to do? Is, is Jesus telling you that if you follow him, you're going to die on a Roman torture device? No. Plenty of people have died with Jesus who haven't been martyred, who haven't been killed. There are people that do get martyred and killed, but especially not on a Roman torture device. Think about what this cross meant. The reason it was created the way that it was was so that it would humiliate and cause shame and utter pain and suffering for people. Shame. Humiliation, it was public, people be stripped bare. 
They would hang on the cross. It's a humiliating posture. Shame, humiliation, intense pain. It's made for the worst kinds of criminals. It was so bad, in fact, that Roman officials were not allowed to put Roman citizens on a cross. It was too embarrassing, too humiliating, too painful. And then Jesus makes this crazy statement, to follow me means to take up your cross. What he's saying is, to follow me means to embrace the shame, the humiliation, the pain, and the suffering of being a Christian. That is way different than what most of the world wants to hear. But it is what it is. The first Christians were called things like stupid. I mean, these are just a few of them. Stupid, irrational, naive, hateful, cannibals. The first Christians were called a cult of cannibals, a cannibalistic cult. You know why? Because they were following a man who said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They were called insane, uneducated, hateful people. They were slandered. They were mocked in the public square. They had to swallow their pride and give up their own reputation. People, if a Christian came around, you, there is, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't announce that you're a Christian so that you could get a bunch of likes on Instagram. Back then, man, that was a surefire way. Like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in that world now and saying, I follow Jesus and knowing as soon as you press send or whatever, as soon as that goes up on Facebook, people are coming to your door to put you on trial and probably are gonna kill you. They were called all kinds of things back then. And today, Christians are called abusive, repressive, restrictive, unintelligent. Christians are called bigots. We're called dangerous. We are told that we're on the wrong side of history, that we're insensitive, that we're uneducated, etc. For me personally, just on a personal note, I'm a pastor. As soon as people ask me what I do for a living, it's there's instant judgment. Instant. I'm not a human being anymore. I'm for real. I'm not like Ben the person. I'm Ben the pastor then. Which I don't always look and act like a pastor. So <laughs> that makes me really self-conscious. I don't even know what a pastor's supposed to act like, to be honest with you, but I think I probably don't fit the bill. Man, the humiliation, the embarrassment, the how easy it is for someone to make up anything and post it about anybody now and for everybody to just believe it. I've, this is stuff I face. I, sometimes I get, when I get all woe is me and I don't want to like be in self-denial, I'm like, man, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player growing up. <laughs> what happened? Everybody loves you when you're that unless you, you know, do something terrible on the baseball field and cost somebody a World Series or something. No matter how well I treat people or you treat people, no matter how well you live, imagine these people, Peter, Andrew, James, imagine 
how good of citizens they were, no matter how well, it's your belief, what you subscribe to, is there's always going to be humiliation and embarrassment attached to it. That is self-denial. That is taking up your cross. That's embracing the pain, the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. It's not easy to be a Christian. So why do it? (laughs) What's in it for you, man? Why do it? What's the point? Well, the first thing is, there's some of you today that are feeling like the Lord's telling you you need to give your life to him, and we haven't even gotten to the good part yet. That's God, the Holy Spirit, moving on your heart. If he can move on your heart to be saved after me telling you all of that, you need to listen and give your life to Jesus, flat out. But why do it? What's the point, man? How, why would I follow Jesus after all of that craziness? Look at this, 835. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here's why. Jesus is eternally God. He has done the math. You have not. Jesus knows why you were created, and he knows that no life and no peace and no counsel exists outside of him. You can chase your tail your whole life looking for what only God can give you. And here's how. It's the paradox of the Christian life. To be high is to be low. To be up is to be down. To be left is to be right. The first will be the last. The last will be the first in the kingdom of heaven. To follow Jesus means this. In order to gain life, you have to lose your life. You have to deny self, take up cross, and lose your life in order to gain it. There's an old song that I love. I, man, I keep thinking, I don't know, somebody needs to correct me if I'm wrong in this. I think it's Loretta Lynn. Maybe she covered it, but um, here's what the chorus says. It says, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We have believed this concept about heaven in our life to the point where we go, man, I've got this list of good things that I've done. I'm generally a good person, and there's another list of bad things that I've done, but I think my good list outweighs my bad list. But this bad list, if even one thing you carry into the hereafter, into life, you can't, you're not in. You ain't in. If even one of those things, God's holiness burns brighter than the sun. So now what do you do? And don't look at me like I'm crazy. You and I both know there's more than one thing on that list. You came in with multiple things this morning, I bet. What do you do with all of that? How can you possibly secure life in the hereafter, man? There's only one way. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus with your life, your very life. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. 
Heaven is that place we think of that's like, if you're good, I think generally people get in. It's not true. There's only one way there. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. And if that's true, then we have to listen to the words of Jesus on how we go about following him. Because the only way we live eternally is through him. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross. When Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven, he describes it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, listen to this, it's like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That's what heaven's like. Finding treasure that makes you obsessed and ready to do whatever you can for the treasure. Which means sell everything, just buy the whole field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus himself is describing his kingdom this way. It's given everything you have. Everything. It's the passion. It's the zeal. It's the resolve of Perpetua. It's, I love my son. I love my dad. But I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Have you ever, your sister Perpetua, she found the treasure. It wasn't her son, who she loved. It wasn't her dad. It wasn't her husband. She found the pearl. She sold everything. Paul's life, Paul was surrounded by friends, surrounded by fans. He had a lot of money, a lot of notoriety, and was celebrated by an entire nation for persecuting Christians. Jesus interrupts his life, changes him. Paul becomes a Christian. I mean, this man killed Christians. Paul then becomes a Christian. Now think about all that Paul had. Nobody hated Paul. Christians, he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was persecuting the people that everybody hated. He was celebrated, man. Held up. Everybody loved and knew about the Apostle Paul. Fans everywhere. Give him whatever he wants. It's Paul. Look what he's doing for us, persecuting these crazy people. Then God saves him. says, why are you persecuting me? So what God does, he said, why are you persecuting me? Changes his life around. And here's what Paul has to say about his old life. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Stop there. Don't read anymore, and you go, man, this guy is lamenting. This is really terrible. This is sad. He's, he's really kind of woe is me. Like, I've, 
lost for God. Look at what I've done for him, how good of a Christian I am. And then you read on, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul found the pearl. He found the treasure. What can possess a woman who's got everything to give up everything and be brutally murdered, humiliated? What can possess someone to do something so crazy? How can Paul say this? Dude, you had everything, man. You had it. You had the good life. Comfort, notoriety. What possesses someone to do that? It's the treasure. It's the pearl. It's Jesus himself. He, I, I'm telling you, I know you think I'm crazy, but I'm, what possesses me to stand up here? It's Jesus really is better than everything. Now, how can I convince you of that today? I can't. There's no way I can. I'm just telling you my life, the truth, and this word. But here's what the Bible says about us and the word of the cross. It says to those who are perishing, those who don't believe, it says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's eternal life for us. It's the pearl and the treasure. So there are some people today, I promise you, right now in this room, God is right now moving on your heart. You have totally forgotten what it means to be a Christian. You've totally forgotten what it means to lay down your life. It means that you're not going to be like well-received by your coworkers. I mean, they're not just going to be looking at you going like, man, that dude's a really solid Christian guy. I bet we can hang out. <laughs> they're going to think that you're judging them. They're going to, they're going to judge you. You're going to have humiliation. You're not popular right now, Christian. Listen to me. It ain't popular in online platforms to be a Christian right now. Not popular. I mean, it's not popular with the government, any political party, true Christianity is not popular. <laughs> Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Remember who you are. You follow Jesus Christ. He sets the pace for your life. You are his and he is yours. And nobody can ever shake that. My invitation today is simple. It's this. I know maybe you thought like, man, I've been in church. I've done the church thing. I know the church stuff. But I don't know if I've ever like heard that about Jesus or thought to follow him in that way. Come give your life to Jesus, man. Come give your life to Jesus today. Don't hesitate. He's worth it, everything. But it's, there is a cost. There, it's, it's a massive cost. It's your life. It really is. But he's worth it. He's the treasure. He's the pearl. Maybe you've never even heard any of this stuff, and maybe you think I'm crazy. And probably what is happening is like, 
this man's crazy for telling me to do that stuff, but you can't deny the reality of what's happening in your heart, in your chest right now, where you sense and feel, I don't know why I'm drawn to this guy, Jesus. That's not the good life at all. That sounds crazy, but man, I'm drawn to him. It's, that is God drawing you. You're not here by coincidence. Or maybe you're just a Christian who has denied yourself and you follow Jesus, but you've just forgotten who you are. If that's you, remember today, man. Ask the Lord. Help me, help me remember. Yeah, okay. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. That's what I do. If you're broken in this room, you're in a safe place. If you doubt in this room, you're in a safe place. Everybody here that is in this room is a sinner, but for the ones who recognize it today, you're in a safe place. Even if you don't recognize sin and you're really that self-righteous, you're in a safe place as well. Come, deny yourself, man. Follow Jesus. Let's stand together.